All right, I've watched that video several times already. It still has not gotten old yet. So uh, again, from us to you dads in the room, happy Father's Day. Um, I do want to take just a moment and be serious if I can. Um, after that, I'll try my best. But, uh, but listen, dads in the room, um, I just want to remind us, and not just you sitting in front of me, but me as well, that according to the scriptures, men, um, we've been given a very important and very big job from God while we're here on the earth. Um, not only are we called as husbands to love our wives like Christ loved the church, so we serve her, protect her, defend her, sacrifice for her, encourage her in her walk with the Lord. Um, but the Bible also says in Ephesians 6, 4, that dads, when it comes to our children, we should not provoke them to anger, but instead we should bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So that means, dads, with our kids, we are tender with them and tough for them. That means we're constantly pointing our kids back to the scripture to remind them of who God is and who they are in him. Um, that means we roll around on the floor and we play and we snuggle and we laugh and we love well. It also means at times that we are firm but also gentle and loving in those moments. So dads, listen to me again. Big responsibility, big job. But the good news is this, God has given us everything we need to be the men he's called us to be for our families, for not only our wives, but for our kids. And uh, men, this morning, what I want to just do is commission you with that, challenge you with that, and uh, we're going to take time as a church this morning and just pray for all of the dads in the room, um, and I would just ask that you pray for me too. So um, if we can, and families, I would love for you just to pray for your guys and uh, if, uh, if you don't have a guy with you, pray for the people around you. Pray for the men on your row, okay? That would be awesome. So join me in praying, if we will, and we'll jump into the Word. Father, um, we just thank you this morning, God, that we can just stop and recognize and honor the dads in the room today. And uh, God, I just want to pray for every father in this place, including myself. Um, God, help us. God, if we're married, God, help us to love our women well in front of our kids. God, draw our hearts close to you every day, God, so that we're walking in your spirit and pursuing you. And God, I just pray that our relationship with you, our relationship with our spouse, if we have one, um, God, would just speak volumes to our children. God, remind us daily of who we are in Christ. Remind us daily, God, that we have everything we need from you, God, to be the men that you've called us to be for our families. And Father God, I just pray that the men in this room, God, um, would just leave legacies for generations to come. God, just pass it down through their children. So God, help us again, as I've already said, help us to be tender with our families, tough for them, and to lean on you, God, in every area of our lives. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, in our Crazy Love series again this week. And if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write down what Devin's already said, and I'll give it to you again in a minute. Big idea, love is not arrogant or rude. That's where we're going today. And uh, we're going to start off, just dive right in by reading our passage, passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13, this famous love passage that uh, a lot of us might be familiar with. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can feel free to follow along on the screen. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth about love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then Paul closes that chapter out in verse 13 by saying, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So again, big idea for the day. If you're taking notes, write it down. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love is not arrogant or rude. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, um, they had big issues when it came to both of those things. I mean, these were pretty arrogant people and they were pretty rude people. I've shared with you in the past couple of weeks that when these people got together, um, they were always trying to one-up each other. They were really competitive. They wanted to be the most important person in the room at an individual level. And so um, whenever they gathered to worship, that kind of stuff was going on. And it was happening for this church, especially in the area of spiritual gifts. We know from the Bible that when we trust Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is he gives us a spiritual gift. Um, And for some of us, it's more than one. It's spiritual gifts. And so um, he does that according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7, so that we can use the gifts that he's given us to build up the church for the common good. We have spiritual gifts to be used for the benefit of other people. Now, the church at Corinth needed to hear this, and we always need to be reminded of it. God didn't give you a spiritual gift just to benefit you. You know that, right? He gave it to you to put it in play for the church, not just to keep it for yourself. And so, um, again, church at Corinth, one person might have had the gift of teaching. Somebody else had the gift of prophecy. Somebody else had the gift of tongues. They come together in a room like this, and everybody be trying to use their gift all at the same time. Again, just to say to everybody else... I'm better than you, my gift's more important than yours, you need to sit down, you need to let me talk, I'm important, you're not. Okay, and so again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 to address this deep issue that the church had, which was they were just doing a poor job at loving each other. I mean, that was the bottom line, and because of that, again, it was competition, one up, I'm better than you are. And as we've said the past couple of weeks, what Paul wanted this church to understand, and what we have to understand, is love doesn't look like that. Love doesn't operate that way. That word agape for love that we've been throwing around in the past couple of of weeks of this series, remember, it's that unconditional love, supernatural love, godly love, that love that looks at other people and says, you know what, I love you even when you don't deserve it. It's love that looks at other people and said, you know what, I will love you for absolutely no reason at all. And according to Paul, that kind of love, supernatural love, it's patient, it's kind, it's not envious of other people, it doesn't try to control them, it's not boastful, it doesn't brag about who we are, right? And this week, again, as we're going to talk about, according to Paul, that kind of love, it's not arrogant or rude, It's not arrogant or rude. The word arrogant, it's good stuff to note or or write down. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, that word simply refers to people who overestimate themselves. So in a person's brain, they're looking around in a room like this going, I'm the center of the room. I'm the most important person here. And what they do from there is they act in a way toward the rest of us that lets us know how important they truly are. That's the word arrogant. That's what it's referring to, the type of person. And and the word rude, it, it literally means to act unbecomingly. But a good way to think about rudeness in this context is this. It's the opposite of being gracious with people. So again, instead of 
being gracious. You're just mean to people. And Paul's going, love, godly love, supernatural love, the love that we've been called to exhibit and display as followers of Jesus, it doesn't look like that. It's not arrogant. It doesn't elevate ourselves. It's not rude or mean toward other people. Now, um, I want you to think about this with me, how these two things go hand in hand. Isn't it true that the most rude people on the planet are usually the most arrogant people on the planet? Isn't that true? Like, have you ever worked in the service industry, any of you guys? Worked retail, worked in restaurants. Um, I grew up high school, college. I worked in restaurants. I worked at the mall um, in a clothing store. Man, and I can tell you straight up, the rudest people on the planet were the people who'd walk into the store or the restaurant, and it didn't matter what you were doing, who you were helping. I mean, the store could be packed with hundreds of people, and they walk up to you in the middle of whatever you're doing, and they are the center of the universe in that moment in their mind, right? I mean, they are arrogant. I'm the most important person here. And out of that, they just start getting rude. It's demands. You're going to help me. You're going to do this for me. And if you're that person, we'll pray for you today before you leave, okay? So this is what happens. Rudeness, it is the natural inclination, the natural response that pours out of people who live in that place of arrogance. And so the question we're going to try to answer this morning in our time together is this. How do we as followers of Jesus avoid those things? How do we truly love each other and love people outside the walls of the church with a love that, that doesn't go to arrogance and doesn't result in rudeness. Well, for the rest of our time together, we're just going to learn from Jesus on how we avoid that. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over uh, backwards in your Bible to the book of Luke. And we're going to hang out for the rest of our time in Luke 18. Luke 18. Um, in this passage, Jesus is teaching. And he shares a story about two guys at the opposite end of the spectrum. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. And we'll start reading in verse 9 about what Jesus has to say. The Bible says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So get the crowd, get the audience, okay? The Bible says, it's a bunch of people who think they're righteous. They're important. They're doing well for themselves. They're right before God. And because of that, they're treating others with contempt. So that word contempt, it means I'm going to treat you as you're beneath me. I'm going to treat you with disgrace, dishonor. This is who Jesus is talking to here. And the Bible goes on, and here's the story Jesus shares. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I just want to break these guys down, and let's talk about each of them individually. The first guy Jesus calls our attention to, again, the Bible says he's a Pharisee. 
And if you don't know much about Pharisees, let, let me tell you who the Pharisees were during the time of Jesus. These guys were the religious elite, okay? They were the best rule followers. They knew scripture like no one else. I mean, quiet time every morning, never miss an opportunity to pray. Every time the doors of the church were open, they were there fasting, giving. I mean, they were just killing it when it came to obeying the letter of the law. Because of that, they were pretty prideful guys. They were killing it in the area of religion, and they thought, you know, pretty highly of themselves because of it. And so you get this picture, this Pharisee, this guy who's great at religion, coming in the presence of God in the temple and saying, God, look how awesome I am. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but uh, I'm killing it down here, right? I mean, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm giving quiet time in the morning, prayer of the afternoon, KJV 1611 on the bed stand. I mean, it's, I am killing it down here for you, Lord. And he comes in and, and it gets even more arrogant from there. He goes, and God, I just want to think, I'm not like these other men around me, like sinners, adulterers, extortioners. And then he points to a guy in the same room as him. He goes, God, even the tax collector. I'm the tax collector over there, right? I'm not, I'm not like that guy. Thank you, God, that I'm doing well and I'm pretty impressive. And, you know, he's just going to God and here's my resume, Lord. Be impressed with me, right? L listen to me, church. Um, you get that this kind of attitude is a problem, right? And, and here's the reason this kind of attitude is a problem. Because it's not rooted in love, true love for God. It's rooted in arrogance, and the result is a lack of graciousness toward people. That's why it's a problem. Now, I want to point out two kinds of arrogance. We see this Pharisee displaying here in this passage to, to really paint this picture well, okay? Um, the first type of arrogance we see him displaying is arrogance toward God. He displays arrogance toward God in this passage. He believes that because he's doing all the good, right, moral, churchy, religious things in life, that he can walk into the presence of God with his spiritual resume and say, hey, God, here's why I deserve your love. God, here's why I deserve your forgiveness. Here's why I deserve your acceptance. God, I'm killing it, and I deserve to be loved by you. This is arrogance, church. Um, I'll bring this to life using a type of person that maybe some of us have gone to church with. I grew up in church, right? Real legalistic, Southern Baptist type church, and I took away a lot of great things, but also took away a lot of things not to do. Um, I'll paint the picture for you, okay? We'll, we'll use a guy, we're going to call him Churchy Joe, okay? And may, maybe you went to church with Churchy Joe. I went to church with a few of them, but here's Churchy Joe. Churchy Joe is the guy who, again, because he's moral, he's good, he's religious, he constantly finds himself feeling pretty good about what God thinks about him. I mean, Churchy Joe, if, if you were to ask him about his spiritual life, he would start rattling off all the things he does, right? He'd download his little spiritual resume, and he'd print it out for you, and you'd get a copy, and he'd have his, and go, okay, let's just go down the bullet point list, I mean, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm serving here. I'm giving to these charities. I'm giving this much to the church. Um, I'm leading this Bible study. I'm in this group. I'm going on this mission trip next year. I mean, this is all I'm doing. And I mean, you could talk all day long about Joe's relationship with God, and Joe would talk and talk and talk and talk about Joe. What Joe would not really ever talk about much is Jesus. 
Because at the end of the day, Job doesn't really understand how much in need of Jesus he truly is. Because if we're honest, Job, he's doing pretty good for himself. When it comes to keeping all the rules and being churchy and being religious and, and doing good, right, moral things. I mean, Joe, he, he might come to church on a Sunday morning like this and um, sing about Jesus. He might talk about Jesus in certain circles. Um, he might even do some things that seem good and biblical and attach Jesus' name to them, but again, at the end of the day, Joe is not thankful about Jesus and what he's done for him. Joe's just basically going to God and saying, hey God, I've been pretty great. Here again is why you should love me. Here's why I'm deserving of forgiveness. Now, the danger Joe doesn't realize that he's in is this. Um, Joe doesn't realize that he's falling into this trap of believing that because he's been so good, right, churchy, moral, that his mindset now when it comes to his relationship with God is, God, you owe me. And I'll explain it like this. Joe's fallen into this place where he's going, okay, God, I'm in church, I'm giving, I'm serving groups, missions, helping at camp, and God, look how good I've been. Um, God, here's your end of the deal now. You need to prevent life from getting ugly. You need to take care of my issues. You need to bless me. Don't let anything bad happen to me. And Joe doesn't even realize what he's in danger of is this. is he gets bad news, somebody gets sick, somebody he loves passes away, Joe is going to inevitably run back to God and go, God, are you kidding me? Look how good I've been. Look at all I've done. And God, you're going to let this happen to me? Church, listen to me. That's arrogance. That's arrogance toward God. Listen, one, it's arrogance because you can never do anything on your own apart from Jesus to make you deserving of the love and the grace and the acceptance of God. And to believe otherwise is arrogance. Church, listen to me. To believe God owes you anything is arrogance. Listen, the only thing God owes us is this. He owes it to us to let us die as hopeless, sinful people on our way to hell, separated from, all, from him for all of eternity. That's what God owes us. He doesn't owe us anything else, but what he's done is he's given us the opposite of what he owes us in Jesus. He's given us salvation, and he's given us eternal life. And again, to believe anything otherwise, church, it is arrogance toward God. It's arrogance. Um, here's what happens next. When we live with that arrogant attitude toward God, it starts to spill out onto other people. You see, there's some of us in the room this morning who we struggle to appreciate the grace of God and we struggle to truly be blown away by the love Jesus has shown us. And again, the reason's simple because we've slipped into, no, I'll prove myself and God, you owe me. And because we're not gracious and because we don't truly value what God's done for us in Christ, the result is we don't share that good news with anybody else. And we don't live our lives in certain circles like that actually matters. This is what we see happening in the story. If you go back here, um, the Pharisee, this arrogant guy, when it came to God, his arrogance started spilling out onto other people. Again, what was this prayer? God, thank you, I'm not like other people. 
God, thank you I'm not like that guy over there. I'm so much better than him, and God, thank you for that. Um, I grew up again in church with a lot of those people who had that attitude not only toward each other as Christians, but toward people outside the walls of the church. Uh, again, we'll go back to our friend Churchy Joe, and I'll explain how this usually plays out, okay? Um, Joe, again, he's been coming to church for a while. He's serving. He's in a group. He's giving. He's coming to worship every week. But Joe starts showing up to church and Bible study and group, and uh, over time he starts thinking to himself, man, these people really need to do better. I mean, they're not in groups like I'm in groups. They're not serving like I'm serving. I mean, they're probably not reading their Bible like I'm reading my Bible. I don't even know if they're giving like I'm giving. Like Joe is that guy who, uh, when we show up to worship on Sunday mornings, he's singing and raising his hands with one eye open. You know what I'm talking about? He's that guy. He's looking around the room going, I cannot believe these people are not raising their hands in worship. Are you serious? What is the problem with these people? And it leaves Joe again going back to God and going, God, I don't get it. I mean, I'm doing awesome, and I'm killing it down here, and these people, they just don't seem to love you like I love you. It's arrogance toward other people. And it gets even worse when it comes to people outside the church and outside the faith. You see, Joe's that guy. He'll go home in the afternoons from work, and he'll get home, and he'll look at Bill, his neighbor down the street, and he'll go, oh, Bill. Bill comes home every night, a couple beers, treats his wife like garbage, doesn't spend much time with his kids. Every time I'm around Bill, I mean, he's cussing and, you know, telling jokes I would never tell. I bet Bill has not even ever stepped foot inside a church. And he's going back to God and going, God, thank you, I am not like Bill. I'm doing so much better than Bill. God, praise you for what I'm doing to pull off a life that's so much better than Bill's life. Church, listen to me. That's arrogance toward people. And it's deep-seated and deep-rooted. It's, it's just sin. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. And a lot of people who are stuck in this place, like Joe is stuck in this place, they don't even realize that they're full of arrogance and full of pride toward other people and that their arrogance and pride is preventing them from truly displaying the love of Christ toward other people. Instead, they're just mean and they're rude and they lack grace. They're doing nothing to advance God's kingdom and nothing to make the gospel believable to those who desperately need Jesus. Arrogance, arrogance, arrogance. It's arrogance towards God that results in arrogance towards people. And when it plays out in real life, it looks very rude and very unloving. Not full of grace at all arrogance. Now there's a second guy in this story. And Jesus says this guy's a tax collector. And just in case you don't know about tax collectors, I'll tell you a little bit about them, okay? During the time of Jesus, tax collectors were hated. And they were considered to be thieves. Um, When Jesus was on the earth, Israel, I've said this before, was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And Rome's empire was enormous. They'd come come into certain nations. They'd take over those nations. And then they would go and find people who actually lived there to work for them as tax collectors. And so a nation like Israel, they'd go find a group of Jewish men and they'd say, here's what we want you to do. Go to your neighbors, go to your friends, go to your families, people who live around you. Collect taxes for us. Bring the money back to us. That's how we're going to support our empire. And so that you can get paid and have an income, what you do is just take a little bit extra from them. A little bit extra, and that'll be your source of income, how you'll live and eat and all that good stuff. So um, tax collectors hated for two reasons. One, they were working for the enemy. 
The Romans were very oppressive during this time. So for a Jewish guy to hear, hey, dude down the street's working for those guys, I don't like him already. Secondly, these tax collectors were known for coming in to families' homes and taking more than they needed to take. And so they did this just because they were greedy and they wanted to live very comfortable lives. Tax collectors, they were very rich sinners. Let's just put it that way, okay? Hated by their people. So you get this picture of this tax collector coming into the temple this day. He is a thief. He's pursuing worldly things, worldly lifestyles, hated by his own people, doing nothing good with his life. And he comes in before God, broken and pleading for mercy. I mean, the Bible says this tax collector walks into the temple and he won't even raise his eyes from the ground. Head lowered, and he's beating on his chest, going, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Give me mercy. This is the picture. This is a man who has right posture before God, according to the Bible. This is a man who realized that he could do nothing to earn God's love, nothing to save himself, and it literally left him begging God to save him. In Matthew 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he paints a picture of this right posture before God that the thief or the, the tax collector displays in this story. And it's Matthew 5, 3, very beginning of the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor that Jesus used to describe a certain type of person, um, it, it literally means to cower or cringe like a beggar. So it's a picture of like a homeless person. You know, they're on the streets. Um, they're coward. They're cringing. They won't look at people they're asking money for. But what they understand is that their survival and their existence is totally dependent on someone else's gift. That's the picture. And Jesus is going, blessed are the people who in a spiritual sense are like that beggar, coward, cringing in the presence of God, understanding their spiritual existence and survival is dependent on him giving them a gift. And they're just going and going, God, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Like we've got to understand, Jesus in this passage, he doesn't go, listen, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God belong to those people who just try really hard to be good. It's not the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people who follow all the right rules and do all the right churchy things and spend their entire lives trying to prove themselves to God. He says, listen, the kingdom of heaven doesn't even belong to people who are better than everybody else around them. Jesus says of this passage, basically, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people who compare themselves against God and in light of how sinful they are and how holy and perfect he is, they fall on their face and they beg him for mercy. God, I cannot save myself. I need a gift from you. That's the person the kingdom of heaven belongs to. That's the tax collector in this story. We find him in the temple going, God, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy, God. But here I am, a sinful man. And God, I'm asking you to save me anyways. Church, you know what this is, right? It's humility. It's contrition. Again, it is right posture before God. It is the opposite of arrogance. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, here's how God responds to this contrite, humble attitude before God. 
He said God sends those people away from him justified. That's how the tax collector left the temple that day, justified. That biblical word simply means that he left fully loved and fully accepted by God that day. The Pharisee, I mean, he left the same as he walked in. He left with God going, this guy just doesn't get it. The Pharisee left, and he was going to be like a rat on a wheel, just continuing to run and getting nowhere. Tax collector left. God, I need a gift from you. And he left fully accepted and loved by God. He didn't come to God and have God respond and say, okay, guy, here's what you do. Prove yourself. Um, Here's the to-do list. Come back in a couple weeks, and we'll talk. God said, no, no, you need mercy. I got all you need. You need grace. I have all the grace you need. You need salvation? Absolutely. I'll save you from your sins. I will give you eternal life. That is how God responds to people who come before him, like this tax collector, understanding that they need a gift from him that they could never earn for themselves, even if they had all eternity to try. And that gift, again, church, as we talk about all the time, that's a gift that is found in Jesus. Here's how we stay humble before God. Here's how we stay humble when it comes to other people. Here's how we avoid arrogance and rudeness. We don't ever forget that truth. That we are sinful people, undeserving and ill-deserving when it comes to God. But he gave us something that we don't deserve and could never earn, even if we had all eternity to attempt to earn it. He gave it to us Anyway, listen, when you focus your heart and your mind on that amazing truth, you could never dream of being arrogant toward God. I mean, you could never dream of walking into God's presence and saying, God, here's the deal. I'll love you if. God, I'll follow you if. You could never dream of going to the presence of God and saying, God, here's my resume. Now you owe me. You could never dream of it. When we focus our hearts on the truth that I just just shared with you, instead our attitude becomes this, our attitude becomes, God, I will love you and follow you even if, even, God, no matter what happens in life, no matter how ugly things may get, no matter how hard things may seem, God, I will choose to love you because I understand you chose to love me and you did it while I was at my worst. God, I choose you. I choose you. The result of this attitude, according to Jesus, is this. God exalts us. How awesome is that? Jesus says in this passage basically this. He goes, listen, quit trying to exalt yourself. And at that moment, God exalts you. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. But if you try to exalt yourself, lift yourself up, make yourself important, if you live in a place of arrogance, you're going to fall. God at some point is going to get tired of it and go, time to humble him. Time to bring him back down to earth. Time to remind them who I am and who they are. You're going to fall at some point. But you quit trying to exalt yourself and God will exalt you. And, and the other thing that happens when you live in humility before God, contrition before God, gratitude towards him, is that same attitude starts spilling out of you toward other people. You don't look at people anymore and think to yourself, wow, I'm so much better than them. You don't look at other people and go, they need to try harder like I'm trying. They need to be more like me. They need to do a better job at proving themselves to God instead of being rude toward people. You start to be gracious with people because you understand that God was gracious with you. 
that you don't see people anymore as burdens. You don't see them as wasting your time. What you do is you start spending time with people you've never spent time with before. Hopeless people, broken people, hurting people, people who desperately need Jesus. And you start spending time with them because you see them now as people who matter to God, who need Jesus, and you've got a story to share with them about a gift God wants to give them. That's how you start seeing people. Church, can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen in our church and in this community if every Christ follower in this building left today loving God and loving people like that? Can you imagine? I mean, I'll tell you what I think would happen. I think God would start using our church in greater ways than any of us could ever wrap our brains around. I think we would see something happen in this community that none of us would ever be able to explain away and that none of us could ever dream of taking credit for. It starts here. It starts humility. It starts contrition. If we're going to treat other people well and love other people well, it starts with us humbling ourselves before God, living every day in deep gratitude for what he's done for us. So here's how we'll close. Um, Some of us in the room... Maybe this morning, we need to do what this tax collector did. Maybe you're here, man, and your thought really is, if I can just be good enough, I'll be okay. It's arrogance. And I love you enough to tell you that it's arrogance. According to the Bible, you you can't be good enough, and that's why Jesus came. If you could be good enough for God, guess what? Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection was pointless. You can't do it. So some of you this morning, you need to come like the tax collector did before God and beg him for mercy. I can't think of any better picture from the Bible to say, man, if you want to be saved, that's how it looks. You come and ask God for a gift. And the promise is when you do that, you trust in Jesus as Savior, as Lord, the one who died in your place for your sins and rose from the grave so that you can have eternal life. The Bible says God will save you. Quit trying to prove yourself. Put down the rule book and come to Jesus this morning. Um, For others of us in the room, maybe we've been doing the church thing for a long time. And maybe we've let ourselves slip into that very arrogant, very rude place. And here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. You need to repent. You need to repent. It's sin. And you just need to repent. You need to come before God and repent and you need to be gracious, and you need to love Jesus, and you need to ask God to instill in you a heart of humility toward him and toward other people. And for the rest of us in the room, I just want to say, man, no matter where you are, I want us to pray that God would continue to transform us into this kind of church, a church that loves other people like Christ has loved us. Listen, um, if you're here and you're just like old, mean, grouchy, rude church person, listen, I love you, and I hope God changes your heart but you can't be a part of this church and be like that. I need you to know that. We're, we're going somewhere else. And I don't even care about you saying, I go to Westridge. What I care about you saying is, I belong to Jesus and acting like that. you got to repent. So this morning, I don't know where you are with God, but as I pray, I'm just asking you to pray for yourself. Ask God to search your heart and you pray for you. So will you join me? Father God, we just thank you so much that we can gather this morning under the name of Jesus to worship, to celebrate, God, to hear your word. God, I just thank you this morning, God, that your word is honest, it's real, it's raw, it's true. And Father, I just want to pray for 
Every person in the room right now, God, including myself, God, expose the areas of our lives, God, that we still need to work on. Expose the areas of our lives, God, that we need extra grace for, that we need extra strength in. And Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to run to you for the help we need, not from you. God, for those people in here this morning, God, that don't know you, God, would you just show that to them right now? Reveal to them their need for Jesus. God, expose their sin to them. God, and I pray that you give them all the grace and mercy, God, that they need in this moment. Father, for the rest of us, God, help us every day to wake up and to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. God, it's fine to be gracious with other people, God, because you've been gracious with us. It's fine to love people for no reason at all, God, because that's what you've done for us. God, help us to never try and elevate ourselves, make ourselves important. Help us, God, just to be humble and and leave the part of exalting to you. Father, use this church in great ways. Continue to mold us, shape us, transform us into who you would have us to be. God, we trust that you can do that, and we believe you will. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.